Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. Well, I'm going to speak for just a minute to those who have a particular guilty pleasure. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that there are those in my household who have this. Then what I'm speaking to is those people who decorate for Christmas a little earlier than what is commonly acceptable. Maybe a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. Maybe even before Halloween. People who might have tuned into some Christmas music before it's acceptable to play it on the radio. And I want to release you right now, because now it is officially and universally culturally acceptable to do it. So now you could, you could let people know that you're decorated already for Christmas, and you don't even need to tell them how early you did it. Hey, I think our Christmas tree was up halfway through October. But um, it's Christmas season. I'm officially ushering it here at Belglade Alliance Church. It's Christmas season, and that is a wonderful thing. Uh, and thank you again to those lovely ladies, everybody who participated in uh, doing anything in preparation for our worship gatherings, being in a place that represents Christmas. And yes, I know that's a cultural thing, um, but it's whatever it gets us in the mindset of Christmas. And you know, it's okay if you enjoy uh, the cultural, general Christmas you know, things that go on. Uh, none of us enjoy the consumerism, the traffic, the not being able to go to your favorite store without waiting online for a half hour. None of us enjoy that. But hey, it's okay to listen to some of the Christmas music and enjoy the lights on the houses as you drive by. There are a lot of beautiful things to celebrate and to enjoy uh, during this particular season. Of course, as Christians, there are things that we know are ultimately important that we have the privilege of being able to celebrate at Christmas time, right? Things that, that in this time, this, we have focused attention on what God has done in the past. And we, so we think about uh, Jesus coming in the flesh. We think about the baby born in Bethlehem. We think about him in the manger and the shepherds coming because God had revealed to them through the angels of, of that his promises have been fulfilled and here is the one who was to come and they come and they just glory. They marvel in what God has done and they could just can't help but imagine what God is going to do through this child. And we know that all the other things that we celebrate, ultimately Easter, uh, Jesus having gone to the cross to pay for our sins and God raising him to new life could not have been possible if not for first his birth. And so this is a wonderful time of year as we reflect on the things of the past. And yet as we reflect on a lot of the things that are common themes of Christmas, common images of Christmas, common historical stories that we read about at Christmas time, there is perhaps uh, the great mystery of Christmas that we often overlook or don't really imagine the depths of. The greatest mystery of Christmas is what you see on the screen here, the incarnation of Jesus. I know that incarnation is probably not a word we use very often, um, especially in the same context in which we're talking about Jesus, but we're talking about the God of the universe 
taking human flesh and dwelling among us. The creator taking on creation so that God can be present with humanity in a way that could not even be fathomed otherwise. And so today I want to talk about this. We're going to take a look at a couple fun things uh, as we go through our Christmas season together. But I thought the way to start us off was to talk about the greatest mystery and one of the greatest blessings of Christmas, which is the incarnation. The fact that God took on human flesh to be among us. And so let's, here's, here's what we normally focus on. Here's, here's Luke 2, 4 through 7. This is the image, if we think, what is Christmas? This is what we picture, Luke 2, 4 through 7. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And these are important and wonderful historical events. And yet today in Sunday school, I'm always going to do that now, I think. I'm going to just plug Sunday school until everybody shows up in Sunday school. We had an opportunity to reflect on another passage of scripture from John's gospel that really looks at what is the significance of what's going on behind the scenes. What is ultimate, who is it that we are celebrating as we look at the birth of this baby at Christmas time? And so today we're going to be in a different passage than what our Sunday school went through. So um, here's what Jesus says. I'm sorry, here's what Paul says of Jesus in his letter to the Philippian church in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. He's describing Jesus. He says this, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I know that's not normally something we reflect on at Christmas time, but I think it's important because while it's a happy scene when we think about the baby born, even though there was no room for him in the end, even though he, he was literally put in a feeding trough to lay because there was nowhere else for him to be. Even so, it's the birth of this promised one, the birth of this baby. People are being led by revelation to who, to who he is, and, and there's good things happening. This is a happy scene. And yet when we think about what, it was, what was necessary for Jesus to enter into that, when we think about what it meant for Jesus in order to come and take on human flesh, to be born as a baby, it's all about sacrifice. It's all about humility, which humility is a good thing, but when you think about the God of the universe humbling himself, there's something in your head that hurts when you really try to wrap your mind around that. And Paul does a great job spelling this out. And in all fairness, this is, uh, most scholars think this is a hymn that was sung by the early church. And so the same way that we would sing the songs we sang this morning, they were singing these truths about Jesus and his humbling of himself 
in his incarnation. And I just want to spend a few moments looking at what Paul, from this hymn, is explaining about Jesus. That Jesus, who in his very nature is God. In fact, we read in uh, John 1 this morning in Sunday school class that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is Jesus, in case you didn't know. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning, and everything that came to be came to be through him. He has been with God, and he is God, and he is the one who created everything, and he has been here forever. We think of a birth often as the beginning of a life. We know that, you know, birth begins a, you know, a couple months before that, right? But it's at that point that a baby's born that they get to start living their life. We get to meet them. And there's all this expectation as something new is beginning to develop. But with Jesus, he has always existed forever. There is never a point in time when he didn't exist. And he is himself God. Think about what that means for just a minute. If you had to imagine God in your mind, what are some of the attributes that you recognize that God has? God is eternal. He has no beginning or end. God is perfect. He needs nothing, right? So just imagine that for a minute, the baby in the manger who needed everything, but he came from not needing anything, right? He is perfect in holiness. He's perfect in goodness. He's perfect in power. He's sovereign. All the things you would attribute to God, Jesus had for all of eternity, all of those attributes. He is God. And yet Paul says something very interesting, that in doing what needed to be done to secure our salvation, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, despite his immense power, despite his, his ability to be anywhere, to know everything, to be perfect in every conceivable way, he did not use those attributes to his own advantage, but rather humbled himself as necessary to fulfill the task of securing our salvation. And when Paul talks about the levels to which Jesus downsized himself, uh, you know, he, you know took all, humbled himself so that he could accomplish this, it's amazing when we think about it. He said, rather, in verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, don't think that Paul's insulting us by saying that we're nothing, but in comparison to God, everything is nothing. You know, I, I used to try to use this example when I talk to people, that Jesus uh, humbling himself to take on human flesh was like us humbling ourselves to become an ant or bacteria. You know, we would try to think the smallest possible thing we could conceive of compared to where we are at. And yet none of those analogies really fit the bill because there is an infinite divide between God and everything else that God created. And yet he made himself nothing. He took on creation so that he could accomplish our salvation by dying on a cross and rising again from the dead. You know, God becoming human 
is this infinite chasm. It is already huge in terms of humbling himself, humiliating himself, if you will, by, by lowering himself to our level. But even as a human being taking on human flesh, he did even further than that by going to his death. And Paul says, even death on a cross. So I want to pause and think about just these two things for just a moment. Because at Christmas time, as we're reflecting on the coming of Jesus, it's important that we remember just what he was willing to do for us. And so as he came, he not only reduced himself to the level of humanity, to creation, that which is far below him, but he also was willing to go to his death. And if this hasn't dawned on you yet, just fathom this for a minute. That God who's the author of life, who has no beginning or end, has come to earth to endure death. I mean, that very fact that God experienced death in his physical self is just, it's mind-blowing. Because God doesn't die. God has always been. He has no beginning. He has no end. And he took on human flesh and experienced death. But here's what Paul emphasizes here. Not only was he willing to do that, but even death on a cross. And he, when we think about this, that's not just, we think about excruciating. Who likes to suffer? No. Uh, who's afraid of any pain whatsoever? Raise your hand. Man, there's a lot of stronger people than me. Uh, if I go, my next door neighbor, um, Gay Key works for, uh, you know, the medical facility here, and she's the one who often takes my blood, and um, she'll never tell this, probably, uh, but I am the biggest wuss that ever walks into Susie's office. The biggest wuss. Um, she'll go to take my blood. I'll have to move my arm. She's like, put your arm there. It's terrible. I can't take even the little tiny pinch of a needle. I can't stand any pain. I go whine to Jenny about my pain, and she says to me, I bore your children, and I have to shut up. <laughs> but I don't like pain. I don't know anybody who likes pain, but I, I definitely don't like pain. And when, we, when I think about Jesus' crucifixion, that's what goes through my head is the immense pain. And let me tell you, it was excruciating. I'll tell you more about that at, at Good Friday, Easter time. But here's the thing also, aside from the pain, because I got to think that Jesus was more manly than I am. So maybe pain wasn't as much of a thing. But here's the thing. It is the most humiliating, horrible way to die. In fact, in Jewish culture, it was viewed as if somebody was crucified by the Romans, they are viewed as being cursed of God. And so for Jesus to not only go from heaven to earth, not only go to his death, not only suffer the pain, but be willing to stand there, the God of the universe on a cross being laughed at, humiliated, looked down upon, despised, and he did it all for us. When we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the incarnation of God himself to put himself at the lowest possible place because he held us in such high regard. Not because we're special, but because he loved us and was willing to do everything that was necessary to reconcile us to himself, to forgive us of our sins, to move us from death to life, and to have us as citizens of his kingdom 
forevermore. As we celebrate Christmas, let's not lose sight of this incarnation. So I talked, I said that the, this is the greatest mystery of Christmas season, right? The incarnation of the Son of God. But I want to talk to you for a minute about the greatest significance of the greatest uh, mystery. The greatest significance of the greatest mystery. And so the greatest mystery is the incarnation. What's the greatest significance? I'm sorry. The greatest mystery of, the, of Christmas is the incarnation. The greatest significance? Well, here's just a couple things to reflect on. The creator took on creation. The infinite one subjected himself to the finite. The author of life became subject to death. And the one who deserves to be served came in order to serve. Jesus' humility, his love, his sacrifice is the greatest significance of the incarnation. And so it's good to celebrate the baby in the manger, and we're going to read those passages in the coming weeks, but let's not lose sight of the, the mystery that God took on human flesh and the significance of that, that he did that for you and for me. But he didn't just do that for us. He also gave us a model that we are to follow in our lives. You know, it's really early on in Jesus' walk with his disciples that he said, you will do the things that I've been doing. In fact, later on he says, you'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. But there's the continual message that those who follow Jesus live as Jesus lived. In fact, the very idea that Jesus had disciples, that he called his followers disciples, because in this culture that Jesus lived in, a disciple didn't just learn from his master, a disciple followed the model and lived their life according to the way the master lived his life. And so that is what Jesus calls us to, to live a life that, 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 is, that he emulates, or that we emulate. All right, I'll have to check a dictionary later. We're to do what he does, to live as he lived. And while we're never going to be God taking on human flesh, uh, Paul uses this passage, this hymn, if you will, in the midst of instruction to the local church of Philippi because Jesus and the way he lived is instructive for us in terms of how we are to live with one another and with the greater world outside. And so I want to read to you in context the passage. Uh, so here's Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being found in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. So if you ever wondered where those verses come from, where he's talking about Jesus and his humiliation, if you will, his humbling of himself to do what needed to be done, it comes, it's embedded in our scriptures in the middle of instruction from Paul to the church. Because Christians tend to live one way, and what Jesus did speaks volumes differently than the way we tend to live. And so when we think about what Paul is calling Christians to, it's to use Jesus as a model in the way in which we relate to one another and to others outside as well. And so think about what he's saying here. First of all, this is a charge to all Christians because he starts off by saying, um, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, I would assume that every Christian falls in this category. If you have any encouragement of being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if you are not experienced the comfort of Jesus' love, then please come talk to me after. Uh, if any common sharing in the Spirit, well, all believers share in the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, if any tenderness and compassion, well, this ought to flow from a life transformed by Jesus. We should all have tenderness and compassion. Sometimes we have to be reminded to live in tenderness and compassion. But he gives us the capacity in our new life in Christ and in being led by the Spirit. And so this is, in other words, Paul is saying, all of you. This is what he's saying. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Okay, being like-minded. What does that mean? Does that mean we have to all agree on everything? Nobody agrees all on everything, but we need to be together one way or the other. We need to, we need to pull in together and be of one accord. And he says that, have the same love, be one in spirit and of one mind. We are together in this. And then he goes on to give some really practical explanation, right, of what we are to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Friends, we live in a whole world that focuses on us. We have, are in a culture that caters to us, catering to ourselves. Every commercial, every billboard, everything that we see in this world is, is designed to make you think you are the most important person, so go take care of yourself. Please buy our product. That's how you do that. But, but this is the world we live in, right? Where it's all me-focused. And Paul is saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead of doing that, instead of your natural drives, or in our culture, instead of what the culture tells you to do, do something different. Instead, in humility, value other people higher than yourselves. That is not our default mode. I don't care who you are. I've known very humble people. I've known people who are very generous. I know people who have put others before themselves. And even there, the tendencies, the, the urges within us are to serve self. From Adam and Eve all the way down through the human history, this has been the normal default mode, is to focus on self. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Instead, value other people above yourselves. Don't look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, do the same as Jesus did. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And we've already seen what he was willing to do. So here's the question. 
how do we do this? How do we follow Jesus's example? Uh, here's some good questions perhaps to ask as we think through this. How can we intentionally use our reputations, our connections, our money, our possessions, our influence, not for our own advantage, okay, that's the default position, right? But in the interest of others. And some of you are thinking, shouldn't have come today. Um, <laughs> if the door was closer, I might walk out of it. But if we're gonna follow what Jesus says, what Jesus himself did, these are some ways we could practically think about it. What do we have? Jesus had everything. He was God. He had perfect knowledge. He had perfect power. He could do anything he wants, and we would have absolutely no control over what Jesus did. He is God. And yet he didn't use his deity to his own advantage with all of his attributes. Instead, he reduced himself. He put others first so that salvation could be accomplished. What about the things that we have? What about our attributes? What about the things that we possess or we could influence in this world? What would that look like for you and for me if instead of continually using them for our own advantage, we thought, what if we leverage this for the kingdom of God? What if I recognize that everything I have, my gifts, my talents, my possessions, everything, my job, my friendships, my influence, everything I possessed, everything I could wield in this world, what if I recognize that it really doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Jesus? How could I, instead of focusing it on me, how could I focus it on others for the good of others, for the spread of the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom of God? What would that look like in our lives? Here's another question. How can we accomplish in the lives of others and in the spread of the gospel if we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable, inconvenienced, get a little dirty, maybe even be willing to walk into harm's way? What would it look like for us if we were able to do the things that we know we ought to do, but they're just really uncomfortable? I'm scared. I don't think I'll do well at it. I'll get dirty. I will say this. I'm gonna, I've given you this confession before. I'll give it to you again. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was a pastor of youth and young adults. And I was driving down a busy street in Charlotte. And there was a homeless man begging on a corner. And I was driving by and I, I, this had to be the Lord. I sensed him saying, pull over and invite him to lunch. Do you know what the first thing that popped into my mind was. This was a new car, and the person's visibly dirty, and I didn't want him in my car. To this day, I am ashamed of that thought. Now, the Lord is very persistent, and I turned around, came back, and did invite him to lunch, and had a wonderful two-hour conversation at a restaurant with him. And he said to me at the end, you're the first person in a long time to treat me like a human being. And in that moment, I didn't feel proud. I thought of my first thought when the Lord told me to pull over and invite him to lunch. What if we, when we resist the Lord because we don't want to be uncomfortable, we don't want to get dirty, we don't want, you know, we don't want to spend anything, we don't want it to cost us anything. What if instead of giving into our temptation, we said, no, I'm going to follow Jesus on this, whatever the cost, and we did it. What would be different in our world? What would be different in our community? Where would we see God show up? We keep waiting for God to show up. 
But I think he's waiting. He's ready. He's waiting for us to make ourselves available to him. What would it look like? Are we willing to do these things? Are we willing to live as Jesus lived? Are we willing to step out in obedience? Are we willing to be the church? What is he calling us to? And are we willing to do that? Our mindset ought to be the same as Christ Jesus, Paul says. We're in Christmas season now. And I'm going to tell you, I told, I told the Sunday school class this earlier, and I truly believe this to be true. People are more receptive to the gospel at Christmas time. First of all, it's easier for Christians to talk to other people about Jesus at Christmas time. Why? Because you don't have to be a Christian to celebrate Christmas. It's everywhere around you. In fact, I've told you before, I celebrated Christmas when I was a kid at a Jewish family who didn't even know who Jesus was. I celebrated Christmas because Christmas is everywhere. It's all over uh, at this time of year. And you know how easy it is to start a conversation about Christmas? And then it gives you the opportunity to bring in what Christmas is all about and talk about Jesus and what you're doing this Christmas and what it means to you and what the Bible has to say. And so as we look at this Christmas season as an opportunity before us to share the gospel, to live incarnationally, to, to, to enter into people's lives, valuing them more than ourselves, what does that look like? What can we do? Here's just some practical examples of things. I thought of this last night. I'm like, what are things we, I can tell them to do that? It's just something we can't do. Like, they're, they're easy. They're, they're the low-hanging fruit. It's a good first step. What can we do? Here's just some ideas. Can we bake cookies for those on our street, including the, we, the, those that we don't know? Perhaps especially those we don't know. Can we get to know them through that act of kindness this Christmas season? Can we look for opportunities to tell them about Jesus? Do you know everybody on your street? I know those who live on 3rd Street definitely don't know everybody on their street. There's just too many houses to know everybody on your street. Okay? I know most of the people on my street. I don't even know everybody on my street. Do you know everybody on your street? Bring cookies to the people you don't know. Introduce yourself. Say, I'm, I'm ashamed of the fact that I've lived here for this many years and I don't even know your name. Hi, I'm Kevin. Nice to meet you. We brought you some cookies. Merry Christmas. What are you doing this Christmas season? Start a conversation, build a friendship, look for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. How about this? Can we start prayer walking our streets? Do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe God hears you? Do you believe God wants you to pray? Then can we walk our street once a day, praying for each house, for those people we know their names, that we pray for them? If somebody's outside and they see us walking, can we say hi, start a conversation, even if we don't know the person? Can we look for an opportunity to build a relationship with someone we don't know? Can we tell them about Jesus? Is there someone in town that you know recently lost someone? And you know Christmas is not going to be a good Christmas this year. It's going to be a rough season this year. Can you bring them a meal, bring them a cake, offer some company, some friendly conversation? Can you get to know them or get to know them better? Can you tell them about Jesus? Because he's really the only one who's going to be able to heal their hearts, not just for Christmas, but forever. Is there someone you know in town who has a particular need? Maybe their fence is damaged and you could offer to fix it. Maybe someone's lawn is overgrown for whatever reason and you could offer to mow it. I'm going to go ahead and say this. Even if they own a lawnmower and are fully capable of mowing their own lawn, 
Offer anyway. Even if they could get out there with their kids and fix the fence, offer anyway. It's a great opportunity for you to build a new relationship, to show the love of Jesus, and maybe talk to them about who he is. Believe it or not, people are more receptive around Christmas time, and Christmas is a great starting point to talk about Jesus. I want you to take a moment. We're going to have, we're going to have just 30 seconds of silence. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to be creative. I want you to be imaginative. I thought about putting a microphone down there and having people come up, but I won't even put you on the spot there. But I want you to think, for the next 30 seconds of silence, what can you do on your street or in your workplace? What have you never done before, but you can do in the next couple weeks to build a relationship with somebody new, or to get to know somebody better, and to share the love of Jesus and the gospel? Take a few moments to think about this. I really hope I'm cutting you off right now and you're like, no, I've got more ideas brewing in my head. I need more time. Good, that's your homework. But let's, let's do these things, not just think about them together in a church setting today. Let's do these things. Spend time with your families over lunch thinking about what you could do. Talk to your friends. Get together with one another. What can we do? How can we show people the love of Christ? How can we build new relationships? How can we tell them about Jesus? This is a great time to do that. I want to end our text today because it's just a wonderful ending. Here's the end of the story, if you will. And so uh, Philippians 2, and I'll back up a little bit to verse 6. Philippians 2, 6 through 11, here's what it says. So he's talking about Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and I want to say amen at the end of that. And I want to go ahead and just say this, that it's because of what Jesus did that, that this is happening, that Jesus will be glorified, that he's been given the highest honor by the Father, that every single person, Christian or non, will one day stand before the throne of God and acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. But we play an important part God has commissioned us to play an important part in the interim. Here's why. Because while Jesus gets these honors because of what Jesus did and who Jesus is, we have been entrusted with the responsibility of telling others about him so that when they stand before him, they are gleefully, happily, joyfully exclaiming Jesus as Lord 
and not trembling and quaking on their knees before him, acknowledging his lordship. Friends, we have the privilege of being a part of what God is doing, what he has been doing, what he is going to continue to do until Jesus comes back. But we all know all too well that there is going to be a day coming when either we, a person dies or Jesus comes back and they meet him one way or the other. And we have been entrusted with the responsibility of preparing people for his arrival. We were reading John chapter 1 in Sunday school this morning. And in John chapter 1, the, the gospel writer John writes about John the Baptist. There's a lot of Johns, what can I say? Uh, and John the Baptist, his mission was to prepare the way for the arrival of Jesus. In fact, if you read in the other gospels, he's, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Right? And then he talks about Jesus, whose sandals he's not worthy to untie. He's preparing the way, getting people ready for when Jesus arrives. That was his mission. Our mission is the same. Because Jesus, in the same way he came the first time, is coming again. And we have the great high office, the great privilege, the great mission of preparing the way right now. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is coming. One whose sandals we're not worthy to untie. But boy, I can't wait to see them coming. <laughs> and so let's do that this season, preparing people to meet Jesus. Whether he takes them to be with him or he comes back, may they be found ready. And may our voices have contributed something, whether it's seeds planted or being the last voice that needs to be heard before somebody commits their life to Jesus. Let us fill in the void. Friends, Christmas is here, and I am excited for all that entails, and I hope you are too. Don't be, don't be Scrooge this Christmas season. Let's be happy. Let's be joyful. Uh, let's celebrate what God has done and what God is going to do. Christmas is here. And the greatest mystery of Christmas is that God was willing to humble himself, to take on human flesh, to eventually die, even at death on the cross, because he loved us so much that he was willing to do anything that was necessary in order to redeem us. And what are we willing to do to see others redeemed? This is your opportunity. I don't care what you've done before today. Okay? I don't care. I mean, I'll celebrate every victory with you, but I'm not going to pound you for every, every failure. We've all dropped the ball too often. That so often we don't want to admit it. Today is a new day, and Christmas season is a great opportunity. And let's start now what we want to carry over into the new year of lives that are putting others above themselves and demonstrating the love of Jesus and following it up with who he is and the good news of what he's done to secure their salvation in him forever.